As the children are being dismissed for Children's Church, you can go ahead and get your Bibles handy. We'll be all over the place in there today. Um, For those of you who are visiting, who've not been with us, we are, this is the last sermon in a four-week sermon series about seeking revival. We're seeking revival for several reasons. Um, One, people are tired. Maybe you're tired. Uh, People are bogged down and stressed out and worn out. Uh, Two, God actually says that he does revive people. We actually, I expect revival. I'm experiencing it in my own heart as we study these things, and I hope that you are too. Uh, And three, next month, starting September 18th, we'll be holding revival services. Now, raise your hand if you've been to revival services in the past, just anywhere. Okay, most of you have been to revival services. Um, Don't answer out loud, but were you revived? Some yes, some no. Um, I just like to point out that revival services aren't going to revive anybody. Uh, Like I've said every Sunday, you can't have revival like you have chicken fingers at Chili's. You seek revival. Now, we've, we've gotten our idea about how to seek revival from all over the scripture, but clearly, clearest in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So if you, wanna, if you have your Bible and you want to flip over there, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is the clearest one verse that encapsulates what we've been talking about this month. As you're flipping there, just a reminder, this is a, his, a history book. Second Chronicles is. So we're overhearing something God said to his people at a certain point in time. So he's not saying this directly to us in that same way. But it does give us a good indicator of God's character. That he does revive and the kind of people that he revives. So Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. So from this verse we pulled out our our four four wheels. On the van that we're driving toward revival. That visualization visualization probably doesn't help you guys like it does me. First First week we talked about humility. Then prayer. And then last week repentance. Now today brings it all together. I'm really glad you're here today. This is the most important message. Um, Today we're going to talk about worship or seeking God's face as it says here in this passage. Seeking revival is really seeking God. So in humility we talked about that's not thinking badly about ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves at all. It's escaping ourselves so we can trust God instead of ourselves. So we can worship and pursue God instead of ourselves. We talked about prayer as a response to what God has already said to us. Like in Psalms, uh, we talked about repentance isn't just turning from sin, it's turning from sin toward God. Turning from sin will not bring revival. Turning from sin will bring exhaustion and legalism and burnout. The religious people in the New Testament, the Pharisees, were really good at turning from sin. But they weren't so good at turning toward God. And that's really the most important part of repentance. Which flows into what we're talking about today, seeking God. Seeking God, I studied it all through the Bible. I spent a lot of time this week looking up as many passages as I could that talked about seeking God. And it really means just what you'd think. It just means pursuing 
God, pursuing a deeper relationship with him, a deeper experience of him, a deeper knowledge of him, a deeper obedience to him. It's just what you would think. Um, God's revealed in Scripture, primarily in the person of Jesus Christ. We find him here, and he's revealed in the world. So God's saying, the kind of people that I revive, humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, and they seek me. They pursue me. But as I studied, one thing stood out. And I'm going to read to you several verses and see if, you, if it stands out to you as well. The Bible uses lots of different verbs for what we're talking about. Love God, honor God, worship God, glorify God, obey God. All those are still in the same category as seeking God. See if anything stands out as I read these verses. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Deuteronomy 11.13 So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 26, 16. Follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 32. Return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Anything stand out as I read all that? Did you catch the pattern? It's subtle, but it's in there. If you read between the lines, all, all, over and over again, all, all, all. If you're going to seek me, seek me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What's the number one most important commandment? (laughs) I love how garbled that always is, but I know you're right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the startling fact. I have to be quick because we have communion today, and I don't want to rush through that. Here's the startling fact. As you take in the whole picture of what God asks of us, God wants all of you. And anything less falls short of what he requires and what he's asked for, plainly in Scripture. So that 99% devotion to God is 100% rejection of God. 99% devotion to God is 100% rejection to God. 99% obedience to God is 100% disobedience to God. 99% pursuit of God is 100% disregard of God. It's like in tennis. I'm using a tennis example for my tennis friends here. Anybody ever play any tennis? Okay, better than in Sunday school. Nobody had played tennis in Sunday school. In tennis, like most sports, unless you're playing high level, you're responsible for calling the shots. So on my side of the court, my opponent hits the ball to me. I have to make the call if it's in or if it's out. So in tennis, the line is considered in. And there's a saying in tennis to help you call the lines well. If it's 99% out, it's 100% in. If the ball just barely clips the line, even though it's just barely, just 1%, it's 100% in. It's kind of that same idea. God leaves like no middle ground at all. 
It's all or nothing, everything or nothing. So we do our thing and we come to church and we, we give compartments of ourselves to God. And then we withhold other things. And we think, well, God will be pleased with me because of my devotion or my religious things that I do. But God didn't call for some of you. God didn't call for the majority of you. He calls for all of you. Remember the story of the rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus and says, what good thing do I need to do to be okay with God to get into heaven? And he says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I do all that. I doubt he really did all that. But he says, yeah, I do all that. And Jesus says, well, there's one more thing that you lack. I want you to go and just sell everything you have and give it away. And the guy walks away sad. Because he loved the, uh, the morality part of being a Christian, but he didn't like the sacrifice part. And so it negates everything. The ancient Israelites loved the sacrifice part. They loved doing their religious sacrifices. But they missed the justice part, serving the poor. And so God's displeased with them. The Pharisees, the New Testament religious people, they loved the rules, that aspect of the faith, but they didn't love God. They had no affection for him or for other people. And so they missed it. And it, it makes sense, I think, when we think about it, that we're designed for wholehearted, 100% devotion to God and not to any of these lesser things. In Acts 17, uh, I'm not going to flip to all these passages for the sake of time, but in Acts 17, uh, verses 27 through 28, Paul is preaching to, I, th- I think he's preaching to Greek people who are very into philosophy and religious stuff and um, He's explaining to them that we're all designed to seek for God. It's, it's in us. It's in our DNA. That's The commands of Scripture reveal what we're designed for. When Jesus says to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's what we're designed for. Um, I will read this verse in Psalms 107. Psalm 107, um, verse 9. just says plainly, For God satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. We're in a chronically dissatisfied land. And this is why, I think. We've never been more entertained and more informed. And we've never had access to more than we do right now in our society. I mean, I remember a time when if you wanted to hang out with your friends... You had to like go over there to their house or you had to call. You had to dial a phone and it took time. And we're now we carry our friends around with us in our pocket in Facebook. Bam, 500 friends. Talk to them all day long, anytime. I remember when we didn't have a computer in our house. That's how old I am. (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't remember. I remember when we didn't have houses. We lived in caves. <laughs> I mean, I remember we didn't have any computer, and I remember summer days were just so boring, and we didn't have air conditioner either at my house. And I would just sit there, and I remember we had a Nintendo, and that was our entertainment. And I had an older brother. My older brother Aaron would just play Nintendo all day, and I would lay on the bed and watch him. I never got my turn. And that was our summer, that was our entertainment. 
Now, flash forward to now. Yeah, I do the youth ministry here at the church, too. I've told you this before. I, I took the guys to Winter Jam, a big Christian concert. And we're there, and it's the newsboys, and they try to put on quite a show, and they're, like, exploding the silver confetti up to the ceiling of the, the uh, place, whatever you call it. And they're, like, swinging from zip lines down through flames. And, and I'm, like, watching all this. I look over at my guys in the youth group, and they're sitting there on their phones just, like, yawning. It's just, it's not enough. That's not enough. Maybe this will help. That's not enough either. It's never enough. It's never enough. We need more, more technology, more ease, more comfort, more access. Never enough, never enough, never enough. Single people are dissatisfied. They want to get married. Married people are dissatisfied. They want a different spouse. People without kids are dissatisfied. They want kids. People with kids are dissatisfied. They want different kids. (laughs) The unemployed are dissatisfied. They need work. The employed are dissatisfied with their jobs. I remember reading stats before the recession. It may not be the case anymore, but that people on average switch jobs like 11 times or more in their life, in their lives now because they're always looking for something better, something different. Church dissatisfied, dissatisfies. Most church growth around here is just people dissatisfied with their old screwed up church. So they come to a more polished up screwed up church because they're dissatisfied. And it's the same lesson I try to teach my son, Elias, with his toys. He had a birthday recently. Got all kinds of awesome new toys for his birthday. Literally within 24 hours, he was dissatisfied with those toys. One of his gifts was a Walmart gift card. And we told him, when we get time, we're going to take you and you can pick out a toy at Walmart. Well, within 24 hours, he was dissatisfied with all these toys and he was totally fixated on the next toy. The next toy will be the toy. And so I sat him down and had a serious conversation with my five-year-old. And I said, Elias, we're going to get you this toy, but it will not satisfy you. Because you were made for something bigger. Toys were not made to satisfy your soul. You're made for something bigger. And he said, Father, you're right. I understand what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give all my toys to poor children. Now, he doesn't understand, but you know, toys are good. I'm, I don't want him to just, I'm not going to burn all his toys because they don't satisfy him. Toys are great. Play with them. But don't expect them to satisfy your soul. You're made for something bigger than that. And it doesn't change as we get older. I mean, you know, spouses, marriage is great. Get married. But don't expect that spouse to satisfy your soul. They're not designed for that. Kids are great. Have kids. Be fruitful. Multiply. But don't expect those children to satisfy your soul. They're not designed for that. You're made for something bigger. Houses are great, but just let them shelter you and give you a center to be hospitable to people. Don't expect it to satisfy your soul. You're made for something bigger than that. All these things are just tools in your hands to seek God and pursue God, to pursue your ultimate calling. And you see how sick it is when some people take any of these lesser things that are good things and try to make those the ultimate thing that they pursue with all their heart and soul. And you see how sickly they become, and often they just end up hating it. They grow bitter toward it because it didn't give you the satisfaction that you thought it would. While we're at it, 
Church is good. Go to church. But don't expect church to satisfy your soul. I think sometimes we get dissatisfaction with our churches because we think church and the activities of it are supposed to satisfy our soul. But that's not the way it's designed. Church is another tool for you to seek God. That's what I'm always saying, you know, when you're out there and people are hurting and you're wanting to help. It's good to invite them to church, but it's better to invite them to Jesus. They'll go to Jesus and they'll become the church. But that's a tangent. Um, So, got to go, got to hurry here. But I hope what you're feeling is, A, a sense of, you know, yeah, maybe I am called for wholehearted devotion to God. And B, just crushing weight of the fact that you have failed and you can't change. Isn't that uplifting? How are you going to just love something more? I can tell my son and my daughter all day long, you've got to eat vegetables. They'll make you strong. They'll make you like the Hulk. Like them. Like the vegetables. Like them. And they can't. Just change their tastes. See, the law, Paul tells us in the New Testament that the law, all these commands, like seek God, love God, really is just the diagnosis. It's just to reveal our problem. We've fallen short and we're messed up. We're constant idolaters and we're messed up. But this is what's so beautiful about it. This is where Jesus comes in. This is why we're Christians and not uh, deists or, or even Jewish. This is where Jesus comes in. See, for this whole month we've been talking about seeking revival. And through all these different ways... It's really seeking God. But what's amazing about it is once you get to this point and you look up toward God, you realize he's actually seeking us in Jesus. It's like the the famous prodigal son story Jesus told. He goes out, he says, Dad, I want all my money, my inheritance. Um, I really don't care about you. You might as well be dead. I just want my money. Father gives it to the son. He goes, blows it all. And then he realizes he needs his father. And he turns to come back and he's bracing himself for the father's wrath. Because he's failed like we have failed. And I'm probably failing right now. I'm probably worshiping something, worshiping your opinion of me more than God. So we turn back to God and, and we expect condemnation and wrath. And what we see is him running toward us. Like the father in that story ran toward the son. That was really undignified in those days. Older dignified men don't go running. He's running toward his son. So we pick ourselves up from this beatdown of, you need to seek God and you're not seeking God. And we brush ourselves off and we look toward God to try to go and see what we can do about this. And we see that he's approaching us in Jesus Christ. So we say, seek revival through humility. When God sought us through humility. Remember in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, have this mindset that's in Jesus, that he humbled himself, that he just set aside his equality with the Father and just came down in the form of a little baby to pursue us. And we say prayer is a way of seeking God and seeking revival. Prayer is a response to his word. He's already sent the word. John 1 tells us that the word is Christ. He's already sent. He's initiated the conversation. We talked about repentance last week. Everything Jesus did for us is to bring about repentance for us because we are unable. 
So I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't want you walking out of here trying to seek God more. He's made provision for that. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what we're about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And in just a minute, I'm going to invite these guys to come forward and we're going to pass the plates. And um, the Lord's Supper is for anybody that's a Christian. Anybody that is clear in their mind that they're trusting Jesus as their Lord and that their life is about following what he says in his word. You don't have to be a member here, but we, you do need to be a Christian. Um, the Lord's Supper is a regular rhythm built into church life that God gave us to help us remember that we're not going to clean up ourselves enough and earn our way to heaven. But thank God we have Jesus. So that famous evangelist question, if you were to die today and stand before God in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? You don't have to try to pull out your list of reasons you're good and reasons you're not as bad as that guy. You can just say, I'm with Jesus. He lived the life I failed to live. He died the death that I earned. I'm just with Jesus. If you're not clear in your mind about that, just let the plate pass. There's no shame in letting the plate pass because really, even if you're a Christian and you have unrepentant sin you need to deal with, you should let the plate pass too. Uh, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who said one time when he was a youth pastor, he didn't take communion because he had basically had an, an open argument with somebody else he needed to resolve. And he knew there was sin in his heart. He needed to confess to that person, so he didn't take it. And like the whole church just erupted in gossip about why, why didn't he take communion? We're not going to do that. You, you don't have to take communion. Maybe there's some things you need to sort out first. But I want to invite you to reflect on Jesus. I want you to seek revival by turning to Jesus. Because in Jesus, God sought us to revive us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then after that I'll invite the men to step forward, and we'll remember that in communion. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word and how it guides us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and enlighten us and help us to understand these things that are really too high and and too lofty for our minds. As we observe the Lord's Supper, I pray that this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice would be an effective reminder for us of the price that was paid and the length that you went through to save us through Christ. And make us all clear-minded about what our next step is. Some people may need to make a decision if they believe in Jesus or they don't. Some people may need to make that public through baptism. Some people may just need to take the next step in in being discipled and growing and learning. Many of us need to take the next step of getting out there and making disciples like you asked us to. But in all these things, I just ask that you would would be pleased. Now thank you for seeking us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.